Welcome to Laptop Gurus from 23, the podcast which aims to go beyond the headlines with the help of expert guests and proper in-depth analysis. My name is Tom Bedell and today we've got a real treat for you as we are joined by Liverpool legend with 737 appearances for the Reds, not to mention 38 England caps and 11 major honours. Today he's one of the best and most recognisable pundits on your television working for Sky Sports and I am of course talking about Jamie Carragher. Jamie, thanks for joining us on Laptop Gurus today. What must be, I'm sure, a very busy time for you with Premier League football virtually every night of the week. How are you first and foremost? Yeah, all good. A little day off for me uh, today so uh, I can just watch the football rather than being involved in it so uh, sometimes it's nice to watch other people well I think it's fair to say that Jamie you've been one of those players who's kind of made every bit as much of a success of your second career as you did of your first as a player and in today's show we really want to dig into your own kind of relationship with data and analysis firstly as a player and then latterly in your career as a pundit with Sky Sports so I'll start by asking this very simple question first and foremost how did you view data and analysis as a player? Were you someone who tried to seek out as much information as possible about your own game? And, and, and how available was that, particularly when you were starting out in the in the 90s? Well, th- there wasn't too much available, really. And I just remember ProZone being the first thing that we were aware of in terms of your running stats and how far you'd run. I mean, it wouldn't necessarily get shown to us or... You know, it'd just be something that the manager spoke about, maybe your numbers, Gerard Hulier. And it certainly wasn't at the beginning. It was more towards the end of his time there. And and, and they're like anything. If you're going well, you think they're great, or the great stats to look at. And when things aren't going well, you try and, uh, try and hide away from them. But I always remember with, with, with ProZone, and when we went to England... Steve McLaren used to pin up the running stats in the in the corridor where all the rooms were. Say we were staying in Manchester for, for a game at United Ground. Say there was two games in three days or something. He'd pin up the running stats. And I used to think that was interesting and psychologically, really. Because you're... I mean, it was very rarely me, to be honest. I didn't start too much. But it was almost comparing the players. And you knew everyone was looking at them as they were walking past. And I always thought that was an interesting... Uh, psychological tool you know so it wasn't a case of Steve McLaren actually going through them and saying who was doing what they were just there for everyone to see and of course no one wants to be at the bottom of them or if there's two full backs you kind of compare yourselves or uh, two wide players two strikers two midfield players as it was certainly under Sven almost like a 4-4-2 so I used to think that was quite an interesting strategy uh, psychologically really and then uh, Rafa came in and again I wouldn't say too much changed really uh, there was still stuff on basically running and, and how far we'd run a lot of the time it was how far you'd run as a team rather than individually and we had a guy come in once a guy a spanish guy came in speaking about basically this was more from a nutrition level that we'd been running more in games since he'd brought this nutrition in but as some of the lads also spotted was we'd lost a lot of those games so when you're losing you're chasing the game, you know, you're trying to get back into the game. So, to be honest, I, I I don't think I ever received too much or anything, really. Even, you know, going on again under Brendan Rodgers for 12 months, that, I would say, is anyway comparable to what we see now in the game. I, ju- I just think there's been a huge shift in the last sort of four or five years in terms of the, you know, the data and, and what we're looking at for, for players and obviously you know, people in the media. So did you ever have analysts internally or other externally who were able to show you clips or did you 
watch set pieces, goals for, goals against, that sort of stuff. Just very standard things back, but as a team. No, again, we never really had too much of that. I think there would have been an analyst there, but that was more, I think, for the manager to chop you know, a, a video up for the team in terms of the opposition. Maybe occasionally on something on ourselves. Rafa used to do that. Look, look at ourselves. Uh, but it wouldn't be a case of bringing the back four, and he used them in his team meetings, which I'll be honest with you, I didn't quite agree with. I didn't, you know, he, he'd almost use a video from the the week, so it could be a week, a week's past, and then you're leading into another game, and like two hours before that game or three hours before, you're having a team meeting, and he'd be going through the video of the game the week before in terms of what we never did, right? Say defensively, if you like. And I always felt that should have been done Monday or Tuesday and get it out the way. And almost be in a more positive frame of mind or you know, or look at something positive going into a game. But that and that was not something every game, but that is a uh, something I just remember happening four or five times, really under Rafa. Under Rogers, yeah, I mean it was probably a little bit more video analysis, really, but I don't ever remember sort of a an analyst getting me in the room and me one on one with a coach or a manager going through my clips. Maybe that was because of my age as well. Maybe they felt, you know, it's more something for a younger player. I don't know. I'm not saying it didn't go on. I just know it didn't happen with me. But I used to always watch my own games back. Not from an A, not chopped up in terms of just my actions. More, if I'd, if I'd played a game for Liverpool, more often than not, we were on Sky. And I'd always record the game and I'd go through it and watch it. And, uh, you know, stop and look at things. And mainly for myself, not for other people, but... You know, my position's off the ball and, you know, how well I've done. So, more, and more often than not, if we had a home game in Europe and you were struggling to sleep that night, I'd come in, my wife would make me some food and I'd just sit and go through the game again. Jimmy, are you someone then who would be receptive to being shown clips of their performances and, you know, moments from games if you were playing nowadays? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Because I, I think that, I think any anything that can improve your performance, uh, you have to get involved in. I mean, listen... No one likes watching themselves when they've played badly. You just don't. And a lot of the time when you're a player, when you've had a bad game, you don't, you, you want to try and forget it as much as possible. And that's why I was always more, when I said about Rafa maybe doing it the following week in a team meeting, I prefer something like that to get that out the way. If you hadn't played well or made a mistake or whatever it may be, I'd, I'd prefer that to get done and dusted early on. But, but as I said, it wasn't there too much for me as a player, if at all. And that's something players have, have, have got to understand now. But I think I think if you were doing an analysis of a player now, I think the way players are treated and looked after, it's a lot less confrontational, I would say, between manager and coach, certainly now. And I think there'll be a lot of positivity in clips that you were shown, even if it was trying to get you the message across that you need to improve in a certain area. I'm sure there'll be plenty of positive clips in there as well. So it wouldn't just be, you know, a negative analysis, uh, really. But, yeah, I, I like to watch my uh, stuff back. It's always a lot easier to watch it back when you've played well. You mentioned Prozone in your first answer there, Jamie, and that was obviously thrown around as something that was quite futuristic and high-tech at the time, and Sam Aldice was certainly one of the, the real advocates of it in the early days at Bolton. It was sort of... Credited as being a big part of his success there. What what did you as players actually get from the use of Prozone, though? I think it just gives you your numbers how far you ran, really. Listen, we did not do no big computer thing with this Prozone. It was just almost like we were getting data on how far we'd ran. And I always remember Danny Murphy just making runs across the pitch and he was just doing it to get his Prozone numbers up. I'm convinced <laughs> of it. He was running from right midfield to like left wing. 
And it was just like, it, it wasn't the run to be making at that time of the game. And I was convinced he was doing it just to get his numbers up. But to be honest, we didn't do nothing on the level maybe that Sam was doing. Or, you know, he was seen as like the guy who was, you know, on a, on top of Prozone. But we never seen like a video of it or like had someone speak to us about Prozone. Really, it was just more that basically, but, but basically it was almost used as a tool as you can't hide on the football pitch, basically. Don't, don't think you can hide... It was almost used like that. We know every run that you make, every distance that you make, every sprint that you make, you know. So it was more that really than actually fully understanding exactly what it was all about or, you know, actually getting someone to come in and speak to us about it. And then just quickly, you said um, towards the end of Brendan Rodgers' reign, things were, were changing in terms of analysis and what have you. Can you just elaborate on that a little bit for us? I just think the way it was, it was on the big projector screen before you'd have it on the TV. Just a lot more sort of better than scientific, if you like. We'd have flip charts before. Everything was done from a computer then and linked up to uh, like a projector screen. So, you know, a lot sort of modern and fancier, if you like. But I'm just trying to think in terms of the analysis that I think you're trying to get out of it. I mean, I think there was probably more videos with Brendan, maybe, but I, it's it was nothing out the ordinary, well, what I can remember. I, I don't remember playing for anyone and thinking, you know, I, I was getting massively scrutinised or going through something with someone, really. Uh, I don't think that ever happened really too much in the, in my career. I mean, you'd, you'd have a team meeting where you might go through things and look at things, but it wasn't in, in no massive, huge detail. You know, there'd be a team meeting about every after every game in terms of the next morning session where you'd you'd stand around for ten or fifteen minutes and it'd be a case of, you know, what the result meant or you know, how well we'd done or how poorly we'd done, how we needed to reaction. It was more of a chat or a talk really than in a you know, real analysis of, of, of the performance and, and why it gone right and why it gone wrong. Now I must admit I'd always imagined that Rafa Benitez would have been someone who was really into his data and his analysis. What was his process, Jamie, in terms of breaking down games, either post-match or ahead of an upcoming fixture? Yeah, he would. He'd go through the video, no doubt, and pick out his clips, and he used to stop it. He used to sort of stop it and go right, when, you know, defensive-wise, you know, positions that you were in. And also on the offensive side as well, when you made a poor decision with a pass, Really, so he'd always stop it perfectly where it looked like the pass was so easy. And if the tape ran on for another half a second, there'd be about four players in your way. So he used to, he had this great ability, Rafa, of stopping the video exactly where it looked like it was the easiest thing in the world. But if it ran a little a little bit longer, it was never as easy as uh, when Rafa stopped it on the, uh, the video. That's what it always felt. We used to joke about uh, watching the videos. But yeah, but I mean, it wasn't a weekly occurrence. It was, it was if it was needed. Basically, uh, yeah, so that, that, that's where it was. And no more often than not, you're watching a video more if things haven't gone well, really. So if you're doing well and winning games, it's almost on to the next game. It's not, you know, this is what we did well as such. But it was, uh, yeah, it was probably sort of once a month you might have, a, you know, a real video of, of something to go through if something wasn't going, you know, right or wrong, basically. You said in one of your early answers that this side of football, the, the data and the analysis has really exploded in the last four or five years. Obviously, got more access to free data than ever. There's a, a greater scrutiny on pundits and the analysis that they provide. Why do you think this has become the case? I just think, like anything, the game moves on, doesn't it? And everything moves on. And what we're looking at right now, I'm sure we'll be looking at things different in the future. And 
from my point of view, with the way we speak about football now, and I've also got to remember, I, I stopped playing, you know, seven or eight years ago. I don't want to get left behind in my role as, you know, as a pundit and an analyst. And these, these lads will be coming out the game with this information a lot more than maybe I did when I was a player. So that's why I want to sort of keep up to date with and use it as part of my analysis and try and understand it. I'm actually speaking, reading the uh, the expected goals philosophy uh, as a book at this moment. So I'm, I've nearly finished that. And it's just to improve my knowledge. But I just think from football clubs, they're just trying to be run better, smarter, trying to save money, not not waste money on signings who maybe someone's their age profile or their injury profile. You know, and I, and I just think they're the obvious things. But the stats that you're looking at now, I can just I could go through my phone, and everyone's got these uh, little graphs of players, and you know, running, passing, expected assists, expected goals, how many passes they make, how many times they break the lines, and you get these little graphs now, and you just see them here. You basically see who's a good player or a bad player going off that. It's interesting that you're the one that's mentioned expected goals first, and that leads me nicely onto my next question. There's obviously been a lot of debate, particularly recently in the last couple of weeks, about expected goals and, and the value of the metric. But what's your standpoint on, on XG and other expected metrics? I really enjoy it. I understand it. I think it's so easy and obvious to understand. I think the terminology of expected goals, I think... If someone's a bit not fully behind it, it almost gives them an excuse to batter it because I think, well, what's expected? Well, what's an expected goal? You know, it's, it's basically, for me, it's an easier way of deciding who's been the better team in the game rather than looking at shots, how many shots a team have. So before we look at how many shots someone has, but it doesn't matter how many shots you have, it's how many real big chances you had to score a goal. And for me, I, I look for that a lot and that's why I like us using it on Sky, I see it on Match of the Day now. So, and I like I like looking at it when I haven't actually seen a game. If I've, if I've watched the game, I'm not as obsessed or I'm not as interested with the XG because I've seen it. My own eyes tell me. But it helps me when I haven't seen a game and when you look at all the stats because possession for me is a waste of time as well. And what I mean by that is, you know, we can say, oh, a team lost 2 or 3-0, but they had 60% possession. But what always happens is a team go 2 or 3-0 up and the other team have loads of the ball. You know, it just that's always been the way football has. You know, if a team are winning 2-0 at half-time, you'd always know the opposition are going to come into the game and make a fist of it. You know, it doesn't mean that they deserve to get back into the game. They might have created nothing. But, you know, so that's why I think, you know, possession-wise is a yeah, I, I look at it and we use it, but I wouldn't go massively off it. I think, uh, but so, but certainly when I look at the stats on, say, I'm watching match of the day and I haven't watched all the games and it's coming through, you know, possession, shots. If you said to me what's the one I look for the most, it would be XG because that tells you who's had the biggest chances and, and who should have won the game based on, you know, the chances they have. And that's all it basically is. We're getting sort of, or people who don't like it are getting tangled up in, in something that it's not. It's a pretty basic metric to look at to decide who's had the, the, the best chances in the game, not, not necessarily who's had the most shots. I'm going to put you on the spot in here now a little bit, Jamie. Is there a, a stat or a metric that we see in every match report and every piece of television analysis which maybe doesn't tell us as much as we think? And conversely, is there something which is perhaps undervalued, in your opinion, that we a piece of data that we should see more of. I'm not a massive fan of average positions, and I very rarely use it on Monday Night Football because I just, I just don't like it, really, uh, because it's, it's only the average positions when you touch the ball, which is not your average position. So when you're trying to work out someone's formation, I mean, a player's playing for 90 minutes, he touches the ball for, you know, it, it adds up, doesn't it, to about one, one and a half, two minutes of, of the game. So where are they for the other... 
88 minutes. So when I see, when I see, even like people at Sky, people use it, you know, fine. But I think we only use it when it suits what we want to show. Like this is their shape or this is their system today. Oh, the, the average position shows that, but it's not the average position. It's the average position where they touch the ball, which is completely different. So if you've got a striker who comes back, you know, the first 30 minutes of a game and his team haven't attacked too much, and he's come back and he's he's headed three corners away. Well, that's part of his average position, so that, but that, which is a nonsense, really. So things like that, I, I haven't got much time for average position. That's why you won't see me use that too much on uh, on Monday Night Football. But I, I saw something on Twitter about a week or two ago on something on formations. and I, I, I just saved it and liked it. And it, was, it was talking about basically how many different formations there possibly is and how to get a better understanding basically of a formation without average positions because as, as as they said average positions is touches which to me doesn't basically uh tell me an awful lot when i want to know how a team have sort of set up with the ball or without the ball if i'm watching a game i can see it with my own eyes so that that's not one that i'm a massive fan of that's interesting i'd never really thought of it like that before i must admit just taking you back kind of seven or eight years Jamie to the end of your playing career and the start of your career in punditry in that time there has been a real shift and increase I think in the level of expectation put upon pundits and the 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 detail of analysis and the quality of analysis that they provide firstly is that something that you are recognizing or aware of sitting in the sitting in the studio each week and also is it fair to say that Sky with the Monday night football program were already you know, quite a way ahead of the curve in that respect. What I think is, I think the year I finished, it felt like punditry exploded that season. That was to do with BT Sport getting involved as well. So it felt like there, it felt like there was so many pundits. That's the best way of saying it. Because in the past, it just felt like it was Alan Hansen and Andy Gray. That's what it felt like. And you'd have a few others who'd pop up who were maybe ex-players or ex-managers. You wouldn't say an awful lot. But the people you listen to were, as I said, Andy Gray and Alan Hansen. But now, I just think the year I stopped, as I said, BT started then. There was big competition between BT and Sky. You had match of the day. I think Hanson may have left then or may have just been leaving. So Shearer took over, if you like, and then they started bringing different people on each week with Shearer and different people. And Sky wasn't just Andy Gray. Obviously, you had Jamie there as well, but it's like we had four or five people in the past. Sky maybe had one or two, and then it was just, you know, can we get an ex-player who's played in this game or something like that? So they weren't really there to analyse. They were just there to add a bit of colour, if you like, to the game and a bit of history to a team that had played. So I think uh, so. I think that was a bit of an explosion. I think there was bigger competition because of other channels, namely, as I said, BT joining the, uh, the party. And I think Monday Night Football is definitely a show to get deep into tactical analysis and basically... I think me and Gary on that show are good on that show because I think we weren't the greatest of players, but I think we played at the level we did because we had a really good understanding of the game. And me, I played lots of positions, which I did that because I had an understanding of the game as well and read the game well. And it gave us an opportunity to go maybe a bit deeper than football had gone before in terms of the tactical setup of a team. I think Monday Night Football has always been an amazing show. I think even when Andy Gray did, I think Andy Gray used to look more like the big moments of the weekend and really analyse them. And we, and we still try and do that, of course. But I think I think we've took it now to, to where it's more a manager's meeting 
what I'm talking to you about before, where you'd, you'd have maybe a manager's meeting and go through a goal you conceded, a back four play, you know, 11 v 11, whatever it may be. And I, I just, that always interested me, the smaller details of football, not the big things. And I think that's where Gary before me and then maybe the both of us took that to look at not just the goals, but, you know, the, the setup, the idea, what was the plan, really, and, and go just delve as deep as you possibly can go into the tactical side of football. And then it feels in the last sort of two, three, maybe four years, the stats side of it and the scientific side of it has really gone on to another level. I mean, we always have stats from Opta, and we use that to show our analysis and then enhance it and prove our points. But now where you're going with things like XG, really that's obviously taking it on to, to another level and where you take shots from. I'm really pushing for Monday Night Football to be at the forefront of that on TV, of, of that sort of terminology and things that we look for. And I think at this moment, if, you, if you've noticed in the last maybe six to eight weeks, we've really started pushing that on stats of, of teams, of you know their XG, their XG against, uh, goalkeeper save ratios we've been using for a while. But almost trying to explain why a team have dropped off. So we did Southampton on Monday and their conversion rate of uh, attempts at goal was over 15%, which was unsustainable, really. It was very difficult. That had dropped to six. So basically, we were saying it was never going to carry on because of that. And also the save ratio had really dropped. And the reason why the manager changed the goalkeeper that night. So you can use these things to explain why a team have dropped up rather than just asking an ex-professional who comes on and says, uh, oh, I'm not quite sure, you know, they've got to do X, Y, or Z. Or he doesn't really know why it's dropped off, when basically you can look at stats and they can basically tell you, well, it was never going to continue like that, the way they were playing. They were basically getting a little bit of luck, really. Uh, so I just think it's it, it's taken it as far as it can go. And when the next thing comes out, we go with that again, because we never, or certainly I don't, and the shows I'm on, I don't ever want to be seen, uh, be seen as someone who's behind the times. You mentioned Andy Gray and Alan Hansen there, real heavyweights of the analysis game, of course. Were they guys that you looked up to when you were playing, and, and, and were they people that you, you know, really kind of respected and, and listened if they were talking about you and, and your performances? Yes, definitely. Yeah, I really did. I think they were the two. I remember Alan Hansen being critical of me on one show. I always remember it, and because it was him, you remember it. And I, he was positive so much about me. He was, I think he was a fan of mine. So, you know, same club, same position. So I got plenty of plaudits as well. So that was nice when, you know, someone like him would give you a pat on the back on Match of the Day or, or Andy Gray and maybe mention something in commentary. Because as I said, I used to watch every football show and watch my own games back. Not necessarily for what the pundits were saying. I used to watch it back for my own game, really. But people may say they don't listen to pundits. Some do, maybe some don't. But obviously we're there to do a job and I think people do listen as long as you're given uh, constructive criticism or, you know, praise, whatever that may be. And I think that thing that helps me is with Monday Night Football, you can back it up with clips and go into real detail that, that maybe the managers are going through them with as uh, as well. Jamie, you've now had a foot in both camps as a, as a player first and as a pundit. I wonder how much attention do players pay to what's being said about them. For example, we saw... James Radisson recently referenced the work he'd done with Leicester's analysts to improve his game after getting a bit of criticism in, in, in the media. Are players now taking greater ownership of their game than ever before, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think it was actually me who criticised them. <laughs> James Madison, I'm a big fan of his, really, but I just felt he could 
maybe we get in, in some more goal scoring positions. He was coming a, bit, a little bit deep to get the ball. I think that's where, where that came from. But yeah, I think with social media now, it's very difficult for players not to, or for players to get away with, you know, switching off after the game if it hasn't gone well. You know, everyone's looking at the phones day and night. You know, there's more football than there's ever been on telly now, especially right now with the lockdown. Every game's live on TV. So it is very difficult. I always think what it would have been like to be a player now and how you dealt with the ups and downs of it because, as I said, there's so much criticism out there for, for players, from, you know, supporters on social media. And it must be really tough. At times, I do feel for players, really, because they are really under the scrutiny or certainly every performance is. And I think fans now are a lot more educated in terms of looking up teams' performances and not just coming out with rubbish, actually you know, giving a, a proper detailed point of view. There's, there's bloggers, there's fanzines. Now, obviously, there's social media from clubs up and down the, up and down the country as well. So I think supporters now are a lot well ed- more educated as well. You know, players, players right now, I think it's never been tougher, certainly from a mental point of view, because I don't think they've ever been scrutinised as much as this. And I I'm put my hand up as being guilty for that, but I make no apologies for it because I want to scrutinise the game as, in as much detail as I possibly can to be as good as I can possibly be at my job. It's interesting you mentioned social media because it was something I was going to come on to later, but I'll, I'll bring it up now. With the proliferation of free data, clips on YouTube, social media, analysts and so on, the fact you can watch you know, pretty much any game in any country somehow, is the expectation on you guys that are analysts and pundits in the media greater than ever that you, know, you will know about every player in every league? And... How do you, as an analyst, kind of rise to meet that demand? You can't meet, meet that demand. It's impossible. So I never... People say, oh, oh Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville on, on Monday Night Football. Oh, you know, pundits, the great, you know, great show. I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't try and kid someone that I know every single player in the Premier League. I don't. You know, there might be... A, certainly teams near the bottom, that'd be a player who comes on sub or starts a game, you haven't seen him all season. You're not quite sure who he is. And I, so I'd be telling lies. I mean, I used to used to know a lot more of the foreign players when I was actually playing in terms of foreign countries because there was a, it felt like there was a lot more on the TV. Obviously, Sky had the Spanish, that's gone now. And he had obviously Channel 4 were doing the Italian football. So when people say, oh, Jamie Carragher knows every player and people used to say that about me, it was just that I used to watch football a lot and watch a lot of foreign football. So I'd talk about these players in the dressing room and other players wouldn't have a clue who they were. They didn't really watch that much football and that's where that reputation come from. I do watch a lot of football, don't get me wrong. I'd back my knowledge against most people, but I think any pundit telling you he knows every team or every player in every team, even in the Premier League and abroad, I think that's just telling lies. And there's no doubt when you do a team near the bottom of the league that you don't, you aren't on TV a lot and you don't cover that much, that you have to do a lot more homework going into that game than you would do if I'm doing Liverpool-Chelsea. I would I wouldn't do too much homework on that game. I know every player, I know how they're playing. So I, I'm making my own assessments and judgments, watching them and my own opinions, really. I'll then look at a stat pack before the game, but it certainly wouldn't be in the scrutiny that I would look at, uh, you know, if I was doing Fulham West Brom, if, if you like, because, you know, they'll have been buying different players maybe in January to try and stay up and there's different players in and out the team. And because and you don't watch them as, mu- as much, you don't know them as well as the, the players you see a lot more of. So you'd have to do a lot more homework into those games. But as, I, as I've always said as well on TV, no one knows their own team or players better than their own supporters. So even when I, I, I always have that in mind when I'm speaking about other teams, certainly teams in the, in the bottom half of the table, that I won't know more than, you know, the massive Fulham fan 
or Crystal Palace fan. You know, it, it's impossible. I don't think any pundit can 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 say they do. You know, I, I just don't think that's that that's right. But as I said, you do your homework, you watch as much as you possibly can, you read up on teams, and then you go out and give your uh, you know your, your your honest opinion on it. Conversely, I wonder if social media has helped you in a way in terms of keeping an eye on everything that's going on across the globe in in far flung leagues and so on. Are there any, for example, amateur analysts that you follow that you know help you improve your 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 depth of knowledge? I mean, if you, you actually look at the people I follow, I, I do follow a lot of I, basically. I only follow people on Twitter who I think can give me information. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't look at my own notifications really, if I'm being totally honest. It doesn't interest me what other people think of me. I just I use it as a news tool and to help me. And if there's something out there that I think's a bit intriguing or a little bit different, I'll you know, I like it, I'll save it and I'll use it. I'll copy some of some of it and uh, and think how I can maybe make it better or I I may completely disagree with something. But yeah, there's people from clubs and what I try and do is I try and Certainly with the top clubs, I try and find someone on there who's like an analyst or a stat guy on their team. And, and something will always pop up that we could use or I could, you know, think, oh, I could, I could make that bigger, I could do that. Because as I said, nobody knows their teams better than, than their own supporters. And I used to get frustrated in the past when I'd see journalists or people talking about Liverpool. When I was a player, I think, you haven't got a clue what you're talking about. They don't get it, they, you know. So I don't want people to say that about me when I'm talking about their club. So... I try and follow people on Twitter who can provide me with information. I follow a lot of Liverpool ones, obviously. You know, ones who are not just who are giving big opinions, but, you know, maybe the stats on a team or how a player's doing from a certain club. And it just it just helps me get a greater understanding of what the supporters are thinking about their team as well, really. Because I think it's always, always mindful that you should remember what their own supporters are thinking of their team and not get it completely wrong. And almost Twitter's a way of reading the room, if you like. But I don't think... It should be a case where I read what's on Twitter and then go on TV and go and just repeat it because that's not me being me. It's just like a little tool you can use, I think, just sort of give you a, a greater breast of what's the real feeling behind a club and, and, and a certain situation at any given time. Well, we'll take a short break and we'll be back in part two to discuss Jamie's career post-playing as one of the best pundits in football. Hi, I'm Jamie Carragher and you're listening to Laptop Gurus from 23. Jamie, just tell us about your process then when analysing a player or a team. Firstly, when does that begin and, and how do you go about deciding the topics you're going to analyse and talk about? It's interesting because it sometimes depends on what guests you have. It also depends on maybe what game you have as well. So if you've, if you've got a real relegation fight two teams fighting relegation, you know you're going to have to touch on maybe the teams around them as well. It might, it might be massive detail, but you might say, you're almost bridging, how do we get to the game? And, and Monday Night Football, people always ask us, and think we're biased on teams that we use or talk about, really, and we, use, and we do the same teams. But well, Gary's not on every week now, so if Gary's on, we want to hear Gary on Manchester United. So we'd always more often than not do Manchester United or Gary was on. I mean, this season, it looks like the top four is going to be almost the big sort of talking points or the big... There's so many teams involved. So the last Monday night was we did a little bit of City, who were playing West Ham. We did... Obviously, the game was Everton, who were competing for the top four. The analysis in the middle was Aston Villa, talking about can they make the top four. We did something on Chelsea Man United. We had Mark Hughes, who played for Manchester United and Chelsea. 
So there's no set thing where you think, right, we're doing that. It's like, okay, who's the guest? What's the game? And, and again, one of the times, those two things may go right out the window. I think the big thing at Sky is always, what's the story? What's the big story? So if, there's, if a big story's happened, we're doing that, really. Uh, this weekend, I don't think there was a huge story from the weekend's games, nothing stood out as a huge result or, a, you know, a massive win for someone or something massively unexpected. I mean, Leicester lost the home to Arsenal, but we can't cover BT's games. We can only do a minute of their fixtures, so that's always something to keep in mind for people when they criticise us for not doing something like that, uh, really. So we can only use a minute's coverage of those, so we, we may never go too heavy on that. But if there's a massive game, City, Liverpool, or the one last weekend was Manchester United, Chelsea, Man United. You know you're doing it, no matter what happens, really. So I'd watch almost every live game. I'd watch Match of the Day, and I'd just make different notes on certain games. And mo some weeks it'd be obvious what game you'd be doing. So I was watching Man uh, Chelsea, Man United, writing like notes on everything that happens every couple of minutes, something I noticed. But it was a nil-nil. <laughs> but because of the teams you play, how big the teams are, and you've got Mark Hughes on, you've almost got to do that game because he, he's got an insight in playing for both clubs. So, yeah, there's a lot goes into it. We argue about things, we lose things, we put things to the end of the show, and, you know, we, we, we can never cover every team. We're not match of the day. We don't want to. So we're always looking for two or three stories for the first hour, basically. And if we haven't done a team all season, so, for instance, Brighton. Brighton's not... Someone who you'll be coming into a Monday morning meeting thinking, right, we're going to do Brighton again this week. But when Brighton are playing, right, we'll do, we haven't done Brighton. So, you know what? Let's have a good look at them. And we had a good look at their XG. Uh, this was against Crystal Palace. Uh, I think next Monday night football, West Ham are involved. And they've had a great season. But we haven't done West Ham. And sometimes, because Monday night's not every week, it, sometimes someone can be unlucky that the week the show's not on, they have a great result. You know, it can just, it just, it can happen like that. So we haven't really done too much on West Ham. So because of that fact, and because we're doing like the West Ham's on the, you know, the playing that night, let's let's do something big on them. You know, let's have a real good look at David Moyes and where they're going. There'll be a lot of West Ham fans watching. Yeah, the last Monday night, as I said, we had Mark Hughes. It was Everton Southampton. But the week before, we'd done a big Everton piece on the derby, which which was the big story. Everton winning at Anfield for the first time in 20 years was the story of the weekend. So we had to do it. So the following week, you think, well, we did a big Everton piece. We'll just touch on Everton before the game and we'll speak about them, obviously, at half-time and after the game. So there's no exact science. It's not like Match of the Day, as I said, where every game's on and you talk about every game. You know, we'll, uh, we'll obviously talk about the bigger teams more than the others because they are what create the stories. They are, they are what's on the back pages. They are what supporters are talking about whether it's a big decision gone for them a, a big goal an injury to a player so we do cover that more than the others but that's because that's that's the story of the weekend and what football fans are talking about and when you are preparing that piece of analysis on a, a team or a player or something how do you marry up the the use of data with with clips and, and analysis it's always our eyes first and I actually look at other shows without naming names. I think they do it the other way around when I look at other shows. But for me, no, I'll watch a game and then I'll ask for the stats. Now, a lot of the... Well, I wouldn't say a lot of the time, but some of the time, the stats basically do not tell me what I want them to tell me. <laughs> so what I, what I think I'm seeing, I'll ask... The, you know, I'll, I'll, we've got a group chat, right, I'm seeing this. So, for instance, uh, I thought there might be something in... For instance, we do not... 
an Aston Villa defensive piece. So I'm going through every bit of Aston Villa. So we know the goalkeeper's been a lot better, save ratio. And I actually thought, well, Pepe Reina likes to play out from the back. Does this keeper kick more? And I thought, I thought, I thought it, but it was exactly the same. There was no difference. So that's something that watching, I thought. But then I thought of something after the game and the stats backed me up, but I didn't know it. I just said, it feels like every time Villa have got an opportunity to jump into the top four, they get beat. I said, they, either, they win a couple and they lose. And then I said, I bet they've drew hardly any games. This Now, I didn't know. It just felt to me, remembering Villa this season, they either win or they lose. And that comeback is yet, they've only drew three games all season. I think they had the lowest draws in the league alongside a couple of other teams. So that, that was an opinion. But in terms of analysis, there'll be a lot of things that, I, that I'm thinking, I'm going to build that. And then the, the, the stats are not there to back it up. It's actually my eyes are not, not telling me wrong, but they're not giving me the full picture. So you'd have to get rid of it, really. But I, I like the fact that it is our opinion and our eyes first that we go with something. And they, then we're looking for the stats to back it up. I mean, to be honest, I'll name it. I look at Match of the Day and they always do a piece on a player who's first in everything. So he was, he made the best passes, he had the most shots, he had the most run, he, he was first in every category. Well, you've seen the stats and they thought, well, let's do a piece on him. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you know, you didn't watch that and think he's first in everything. You know, so that that's the type of thing I'm talking about. So we'll, we'll think of pieces. We'll also think of... Like the Tottenham piece I did a few weeks ago, that was not something on the back of that game. That was something that was building for a few weeks. I was watching Tottenham, seeing certain things I didn't like. And I was almost waiting for them to lose a bad game, really, or be on a bad run. I think they'd lost five and six in the Premier League. So that, that piece was going to be get done. Could have been done two weeks before. It was like, where's Jose at? What are they doing? What are they trying to do? What are they trying to accomplish, uh, really? So there'll be, be things that you're building over a few weeks or something that you should react to that weekend. And when it comes to you know building up that information, that fuller picture, what are the what are the tools and resources that you use when you're preparing for a piece of analysis for Monday Night Football and so on? Well, I watch. Uh, I said I watch a lot of the games. I, I basically I try and spot things off the ball or something that's happening a lot in a game. That's a little bit different. Obviously, I, we have our style. Match of the day, have their style, which is basically they will look at the big, the big, the really big things that happened in the game. A red card, the goals, obviously, who was the best player. So I've almost got to think, well, they've done that. What can we What can we do around that? Why did that happen? What did they come to that? So a perfect example is we did, we didn't actually do Newcastle and Wolves goals and highlights. We done a substitution. We, we, we analysed that. So match of the day would not have had that time to analyse that. You know, because our clip was off a full minute. So match of the day, we think, well, most people watching match of the day, they want to see the goals, they want to see the manager's interviews, they want to see the big, mo you know. I, I Listen, I thought that was a big moment in terms of the game, but that is something we look at, something that you may not normally get on other shows, not necessarily showing the goals, but what can we do different, uh, really? And people say, Monday Night Football, we have more time than others. That is right, but we're also last. And we don't copy people. So... You've, you've had the live game, you've had match of the day, you've had all the newspaper reports, you've had match of the day too. You've had our games on the Super Sunday, even though it's our pundits, you don't want to sort of cover that again. So it's trying to think of ideas that have, uh, have not been touched on and delved that little bit deeper. And for me with clips, we used to go to Sky a lot earlier now because of COVID, we're going in a bit later. So we used to get into Sky and, and say, well, I've, I've seen this over the weekend. Let, let me see it on the big camera, which was all 22 players. And... and that's a great tool to use. You see things off the ball. 
but I've got Y Scout now, and that helps me a lot. You know, I I get by on on the live games, and uh, if there's someone I really want to look at again and go through again, I'll watch you know the the video of it on Y Scout and give me all twenty two players, or I can just home in on a single player. So that's been a, I think I, I wanted to use that because I think it gives me an advantage on on other people when I'm analysing uh, players and teams. And I'm betting this all gets pretty lively. How much debate is there between probably chiefly yourself and Gary and um, David Jones and the rest of the Monday night staff and, and guest pundits and so on? Yeah, there is. I mean, what, what I would say is you, you obviously have a producer and a director of the show and I would say Monday Night Football is the one show where we as pundits get more of a say. We would never do anything we didn't want to do or we weren't passionate about on in the first hour. Never. It's always our idea and the producer's job is to sort of just make that flow through the show and make it work and make it join up, if you like. And he, he obviously, he'll, he'll have his own ideas as well about how a show can work. But if we're really passionate about something and really want something in there, it'll be in there and there'll never be anything in it that we don't want in it. So we, we take great ownership of it. So if you're never happy with something in there, blame us. And if you're happy, it, it's us as well. So, so and it just depends whether you, you come in and we can go, well, there's not a lot really that stands out. Is, is it a show where we do lots of little bits? Or you know what? We're just going to do two big bits. And the last few sh- shows have been on two big topics. So we did a whole second part on Ancelotti and Everton because it was a massive story and something in the first part. Sometimes we might do like a couple of things. We've done two things last Monday. We had Manchester United and Chelsea and the Villa stuff. So it's almost work out the timings of, well, how long the first part is, how long the second part is, uh, really. So you've got to just factor that in. But there are debates in there about what we should do or whether we're going too early on something. I had to really fight for the Tottenham piece because I think the feeling a little bit with half the room was, no, we're going too early with Tottenham. You don't want to, you know, go for Tottenham if it's, you know, you know, they could win the Cup, they could win Europa League, they're not that far away from top four. But my opinion of the situation was... It's not even the results, it's the way they're playing, how poor they're playing. I was very strong that they wouldn't make top four. Now, I may have gone I may have gone early, they may make top four, might prove me wrong. But I always want Monday Night Football to be the first people who set the agenda basically on analysis and talking about players and teams and not be reactive. I'd rather us be proactive and that's that's why I push for that Tottenham piece on that night that we did it. And then because I'll tell you another reason why I did it, they were playing West Ham away the following week. And I said, if they lose at West Ham, everyone's going to go to town on Tottenham. I said, I think they will lose at West Ham. I want to do this analysis before anyone else does it. And we did it, and we were proven right, but then they've, they've won games since that, and they're not that far away from top four. So, you know, it could all change. I could look, have uh, egg on my face. But listen, that, that's punditry. That happens all the time. You give an opinion at that time. Sometimes you're proven right, sometimes you're proven wrong. And who are the the pundits? And I'm sure at this point you'll you'll mention some colleagues from Sky, but from around the game that you really respect and you know you find interesting would would make a point of listening to. Well, I, I think in in terms of our own stable, I think uh, Graham and, and Roy are great, and they're pro- pro- possibly complete opposites to me and, and Gary in some way. They don't go into for the analysis as much. Their real big statements have a huge presence, really. Uh, certainly. Graham with that big Scottish voice and you know they, they fill a studio and they're in there and there's there's different pundits and there's no right or wrong way some people just have a presence and I think that's certainly Graham Souness's and he gets straight to the point so does Roy Keane whereas me and Gary would talk as I said on a substitution for five minutes because we find that really interesting I think uh, 
I like Danny, and not just because he's my mate on match of the day, because I know Danny had a real understanding of the game. We used to speak about football a lot. So when he's on match of the day, Jermaine Jennings as well. I think he, he comes across well, looks good, speaks well. As well, you've seen him getting involved in other shows as well. Uh, now, away from football, so I think he may end up being, becoming a presenter. And I think when I talk about different styles, I think talking about someone who's got a huge presence, I think Michael Richards as well now has, has, has come on the scene, or burst onto the scene, as he always likes to say. And uh, he's just got that big personality that you can't help but like, that laugh. And I think in, at Skype, there's a lot of us who are very, very serious on our football and can be seen as quite aggressive at times, myself, Gary, Graham, Roy. But I think in terms of Micah, he, he's, he, he adds something completely different into a studio, and he's actually made Roy Keane smile once or twice as well, so that's his role. So we, it's like a team, I would say, certainly when I'm talking about Sky, in that we all, we've all got our different roles to play, and that's what makes it the team that it is. I just want to touch on something you said there regarding Danny Murphy. I wonder, is it the case that during your playing career you would have had teammates and opposing players and friends within the game who think you know what he really understands the game and then on the flip side you've got those who just didn't you know understand it on the same level as you or or or, or maybe didn't have the same same interest even yeah that perfect you know that was always the case in the dressing room i actually think that was some pundits when i watched them i don't think they quite fully understand uh, what's going on or they just you think no that's that's not right that's that's wrong really uh but yeah, I mean, it's a surprise when you see certain people going to management who, who weren't great lovers of the game. And I think in the past, people used to go go into punditry and, and not be too interested who was playing or what they were saying. They were just putting a nice suit on and basically picking up a few quid. And I think those days are gone now. And I think social media's put the end to that. I think you've basically you got to know your stuff. I think it's always nice to have a reputation in the game in terms of maybe what you've won to back that up. But... I think people at home, I would prefer someone with no medals and a great understanding of the game than the opposite of that. Someone who's won everything but doesn't quite understand the... or not quite getting what's, what's going on or giving good punditry, if you like. So, no, I, th- I think your name will get you so far to start with, but I think eventually you'll be found out. And I think that is uh, certainly one of the pros or cons, whatever way you want to look at it, of uh, of social media when we certainly scrutinise pundits. Because I think pundits now are scrutinised as... I wouldn't quite say players, but it's certainly not far behind. Obviously, Jamie, you've got your own excellent podcast, The Greatest Gamer, which is always a great listen. And one of the guests I found particularly interesting recently was Jonathan Woodgate. You guys were talking about the benefits of scouting a player in person. Do you think that will ever go away? And why is the eye test still so important when it comes to analysing and recruiting players? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I don't think... I'd be, I'd be, I think it'd be a very sad day if we judged every player off... You know, these, these uh, hexagon things I see on Twitter, uh, every day that people put up again. Is it a hexagon? I'm not even quite sure what it is. But one of those graphs, and it, it, you know, and it's, you're telling you about what a player is like, and you say, well, it is numbers of this, and, and, and I'm sure the clubs use it, and so they should, but I, I do think the eye test has still always got to be almost first, but I do think that the data and the scientific side of it is getting a lot closer to it. It may end up being a 50-50 situation in the future, but I don't like when, you know, we I see stuff all over social media about a new signing coming in and everyone's telling you what he's like and no one's seen him play. You know, Quebec, for, for instance, with Liverpool, no one's really seen Schalke play. I, I haven't. 
I'm not going to... I've seen him play three times at Liverpool, basically. And I'm judging off that, and you see other things, and, you know, some of his stats, and, you know, little bits and bobs on Twitter, but the eye test is the main thing that you go off, and I think sometimes we get, when I see social media, everyone's getting excited about the players, and they're talking these players up, and I'm like, no one's got the time to... Who's watching Schalke? They're not, or other teams. Now, we watch Bayern Munich in the Champions League, we might, we might watch Bayern Munich Leipzig or Dortmund... You know, if that game's on the, you know, Bundesliga's game, you might watch that, but no one's watching all these players all over Europe. So I take it with a pinch of salt when I see certain things about certain players on uh, on social media, because I always feel that, you know, the eye test is the most important. Just finally then, Jamie, I'm going to ask you to gaze into a crystal ball a little bit here. What's the future of data and analysis within the analytical game, the punditry game, but also more broadly within football? Is there... Something, for example, you'd like to see to help you with your job, or is there a, a trend or a direction you think that this uh, this uh, this field is heading in? Well, I think in in the future it'd be nice if everyone uh, understood the the, uh, the simplicity of XG. <laughs> I think that would be nice. I think sometimes we talk on Monday nights about when we're moving the players with our pen and, and different things. It'd be nice someday to actually become the player. I don't even know how that's possible, but almost you're in the body of the player and you're moving where he should be, almost like on a, on a pitch or to put you on the screen or something. You know, I don't know how far away something like that is. I mean, we were trying something on a Monday where I was putting a headset on. So that was almost like a version of it, but the graphics weren't great. So I, I don't think it was a great watch at home. It put me basically in, in the eyes or the head of the player and what he could see. Really, so I mean, it wasn't bad. It was a, it was a Dutch thing that a, a Dutch guy was coming over every Monday, so we felt like we had to use it. So we use it at the end of the show, but then at the end of the season, obviously they wanted you know a, a Sky going to pay the contract or pay for a contract for this, and they pulled out of it. But they use it in, in a Dutch show that analyzes football. But I think actually, you know, with really good graphics, those becoming the players. I think I don't even know how that works, but that that's something that would really excite me if you could you know sometimes I get out my chair and you know do an action and I think it'd be nice to become the player and maybe go where he should have gone and be moving around basically basically the way a coach would be on a training pitch when he right stop the game right I want you need to be there you you're the holding midfield player you need to be behind and you need to be able to check what's over your shoulder you know actually becoming that player I think that's probably something to look for in the future. Well, our thanks to Jamie for joining us on today's episode of Laptop Gurus and do make sure that you download and subscribe to his podcast, The Greatest Game. It is genuinely an excellent show and we're not just saying that because he was kind enough to give up his time today. Whilst you're at it, make sure that you never miss an episode of Laptop Gurus. You can do that by subscribing via Apple, Google or Spotify. You can also follow us on Twitter. It's at 20 the word, 3 the number, sport. And to find out more about what we do, visit 23.sport or email info at 23.sport. Take care and we look forward to speaking again soon. <music>